0: Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Church, I heard this years ago. I've argued with it in my soul. I believe it. Every sin we ever do is an issue of belief. As we continue in the B-series, today's message comes from Galatians chapter 3. Here's Pastor Randy. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Paul's letter to the church in Turkey at Galatia the third chapter we're going to read two verses together in just a second. before I do that I I, I want to say this I felt um, compelled to share this first hour. I had a a nightmare Thursday night Friday's my day to sleep in um, and I woke up I woke up at 5:30 wide awake um, I had this nightmare that, that we had been doing some things very wrong in the church, specifically over the last 30 years, that there was an entire generation of men that we had missed. I, I know that, that people argue theologically about the role of women in the church, but I'm just gonna tell you on a very practical level, if women hadn't led in the church for the last 30 years, we wouldn't have one. That's right. And that, that we've got to, reestablish the next generation of young men. I just think that's a crucial thing. And I think part of it is, I think we've told them to be boys. We've treated them as boys instead of treating them as men. And I've been talking with the elders some, even this weekend. I don't know that I have. I mean, you know, I always like it when the Lord tells me, Gives me the the dream, and then gives me the answer. He didn't give me the answer. That might, there might be one of y'all knows the answer. So pay attention to the dreams that God gives you. Pay, pay attention to the leading of your heart in this. It, it might be that he that he prompted that in me, but the answer is going to be in one of you. I do know this. We're starting in in late April. We're gonna gather together young men, young men from this church and young men from this community that are just playing ball. And we're gonna give them $10,000 each to do an eight week Bible study. Now, let me tell you how we're gonna do that. We're gonna study money management. We're gonna study how to, how to take a job interview, conflict resolution. We're gonna bring attorneys in, talk to them about how do you deal with the law? What, what do you do if you get pulled over and you have a, a good cop? Or, or you have a cop that isn't good. And you know, look, I, I did that for, my, my family did that, my, my that was, we were a law enforcement family, and I know there's some amazing police officers. We, we've got amazing police officers that serve us here. And every once in a while, you run into Barney Fife. Um, and if you don't know who Barney Fife is, you just, I hope you don't. Um, but every once in a while, you run into Barney Fife. And when you run into Barney Fife, you gotta know how to handle that. and. Um, And one of the ways is you don't call him Barney Fife. But but at the end of that, we're going to give them a $100 mutual fund. And if they don't spend it in the first six months, we're going to give them another $100. We've already raised the money. And I got business people telling me they want to be a part of this. So we're going to give these guys a $200 mutual fund, which at retirement is $10,000. If they never touch it, it's $10,000. Now, a credit card won't do that for you, will it? You can get your points and you can win a free toaster or something with a credit card. But, but if, you, if you don't touch that money, it winds up doubling every six to seven years and it's $10,000. And if you hold out for a little while longer, it's 20. So we're, we're gonna start there, but there's some other things that we wanna do at establishing a generation, not of boys, but of men. Now, you can start my timer now. All right, Galatians chapter three. Would you guys stand with me as we read two verses, verse five and six? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? And all of this, by the way, church, is essentially in the form of a lawsuit conversation. It's basically laid out as a lawsuit. Works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now notice something. At the end of that sentence, there's a punctuation mark. It's not a period. It's not an exclamation point. What is it? It's a question mark. Note that. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. As God, as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as Righteousness part of a question that goes back to, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles do so by works of the law or hearing with faith? Are you going to question young church being being pulled away by these people from Jerusalem that have come and said to you, no, you've got to go work the works of the law to be reconciled to God. Is that how it worked with Abraham? Or was it counted as righteousness? That, that belief, that, that faith. And by the way, when you see the word believe or you see the word faith in Galatians, as, as in really in the entire New Testament, generally the word believe is a verb. It's like I, it's, it would be like saying, baseball is the game I love, love noun. I love to play baseball, Verb. So, so believe is the verb. Faith is the noun. It's the same word. So sometimes you'll be reading it and your Bibles will say, I might say believe, and you go, Well, my Bible says faith, or I might say faith and it says believe. It's just sometimes they get inverted in terms of noun and verb. It's the way it's used. In some places it'll say believe, even though, because we interpret believe to be essentially the same thing as faith. But, but as you're reading that, and if it's different than the way I'm reading it from the ESV, the, the Bible Jesus carried. Um, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, I'm just joking. Um, if, if, you're, if you're reading it differently, that's why. It's counted as righteous. Verses seven and nine really amplify verse six where it says he believed God it was counted as righteous, verse seven. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And remember, Paul's talking to this young church at Galatia. If you wanna be a son of faith, if you wanna be a son of Abraham, it's gonna be about faith. As the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Justify, to make right by someone else, that that the ledger gets balanced, not because you have the money to balance it, but because someone else steps in and justifies your account. That, that word was counted to him as righteous. That word counted. Some of your Bibles say, how many of your Bibles say the word reckon? Anybody's Bible says reckon? We must've had a lot more. Um, other translations at the first service because a lot of people had reckon. Now, the reason it doesn't say reckon in most of your Bibles is now is because that we don't want people to think that Abraham was from Mississippi. Um, (laughs) But reckon, what reckon means, reckon doesn't mean to consider like Josie Wales says. I reckon so. I'm thinking about it. No, that's not what it means. It means that you make something right. It means that you take something and you reckon it. You mean It means, okay, I'm going to take from my account over here because I have money in this account and I'm going to make your account full. It's like when your kids were getting school lunch and you got a note home that said, your kid doesn't have enough money to get the school lunch. We gave them peanut butter and jelly today and you reckon their account. So you send money from your account over to that account. When you pay a bill, you're reckoning. That's what you're doing. And that's what it's it's saying, that, that it's counted to him, it's reckoning to him as righteousness. Not because he had the ability to make this right, but because God did. This comes from Genesis chapter 12 and 15. Flipping your Bibles over to Genesis 12. He's Abram. He's not Abraham yet. Abram means exalted father or as the house fire song good good father he's a good father is what it means but he doesn't have any children yet verse chapter 12 verse 1 now the lord said to abram go from your country and your kindred your father's house to the land i will show you and i'll make you a great nation i'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing i'll bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Some of your Bibles say, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, look at this, God's plan all along has been a multi-ethnic church, a multi-ethnic family. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what he's talking about in the book of Galatians. That that was God's plan all along. It wasn't just going to be the Jewish people. It wasn't just that singular group. His plan all along had been this multi-ethnic church. If you're gonna make a great nation, it seems really antithetical to, to do it this way. Think about it. Abram, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Your wife can't have children. I want you to leave your family. Go somewhere where nobody knows you. How many of y'all moved here and didn't really know anybody when you moved here? It's a scary thing, isn't it? To go in a grocery store and not ever see anybody you know. To go into a church for the first time. By the way, we've been getting a lot of visitors during this COVID season. Thank y'all for coming and trusting us and meeting us. But but church, be nice to people because to walk into an environment that you're not familiar with is an intimidating thing. Some of y'all remember the first time you walked in here. You you heard somebody said, "Oh, don't go there; it's a cult." <laughs> we we don't know what's going on with them, you know. They'll and be be good to each other. Be good to the people that you see here because because they're new people. The Bible says, "Why, why would be we want to be good to aliens to 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 sojourners?" He says, "Because you were one. You were one church." So, so he's, he's saying, go away from your place of security and go somewhere, because here's the thing. I'm gonna make you a great nation. It's not gonna be you, Abraham. Abram at this point. Abraham, father of many. No, you're still Abraham. You're good, good father. But that's even said in faith. Flip over to 15 of Genesis. Genesis 15. Abram's had some time. There's been a battle. He's rescued Lot. Lot was always hanging out with the wrong people, getting in trouble. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not. I'm your shield. Your reward will be great. But Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Elazar of Damascus. Now this is what I love. Abram Do your kids ever do this? Do your kids ever say the same question? They just change some of the words around a little bit. Do you ever do this when you pray? I do. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Exact same phrase twice in a row. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and number of the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he worked really, really hard after that point. And God said, I'll consider this when you stand before me in heaven. Is that what it said? And he obeyed the law. There's a problem with that, we're gonna get to it. No, he believed the Lord and he reckoned it, counted it to him as righteousness. No question mark. So Abram is counted as righteous. And this is what Paul's saying to the church at Galatia. You are questioning, if this is by faith or works, well, you're not questioning me, you're questioning Abraham, and you're questioning God. That's your question. This is about a covenant. Abram says, God says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram's got Whitney Houston, how will I know on repeat playing on his Spotify. He said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He believes, but he asks, how do I know to possess it? Belief doesn't mean you don't ever have questions. If it did, there's, there's no one in scripture that it would have ever believed except Jesus. Even Jesus says this in the garden. What's he say? Lord, can we come up with a different plan? I'll do your plan. I believe you. I'll do your plan. But I would be thrilled if we didn't have to do it this way. And there is no one in this room, man, woman, boy, girl, that would, look, I would not want that, knowing what it was gonna be. And you know what the worst part was? The worst part wasn't the physical violence. The worst part was he knew there would be a moment that there would be separation. The father would turn his eyes away because Jesus would be counted as a curse. This is, and what God does is God says, no, this is gonna be a covenant. Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, turtle dove, a pigeon. He brings them. They're they're cut in half. They're laid out. There's a deeper angst or angst that that comes across him. Just because you are obeying God doesn't mean you're not gonna walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through those rough times. There's people in this church, I'm looking right now, and and I know you've been through that valley. You've been through that valley of the shadow. But this is, he doesn't say you're not gonna go through it. Matter of fact, he says, when you do, I'm with you. The pronouns change in that psalm, by the way, from God being out here to God being right here. Some of y'all that have gone through the worst times know this, that's when you sense God really close. God says, we're gonna make a covenant. So you cut these things in half. And then as the evening comes, as, as as you get farther down here into 17 and 18, you see that God moves through. The sun had gone down. Verse 17, it was dark behold a smoking fire part a flaming torch passed between the pieces this is what it means in the ancient near east suzerains and vassals king suzerain vassal servants would make covenants the king would say this is my agreement with you now there were three kinds of agreements one is a treaty you have a peace treaty What happens in a peace treaty? Somebody wins, somebody loses, the winner says, we've got a treaty. In a contract, you exchange goods and services. In a contract, you bring the best thing that each of you have and you trade it. Now, when I do weddings and um, I'm I'm looking at. Is there anybody in here? I've done your. I, I did your wedding. All right. So so I, I I say to this, and I usually sometimes I spring this on you, and sometimes I don't. Do you guys remember when I ask you this question in the wedding? Do you remember wh- what's the what's the thing that you bring? And what what did you br- what did you say? <laughs> what? Wait, what, which which question? What did I bring? Yeah, what did you bring? Ring, no, not that part. Not the rings. You got that right. All right. No. <laughs> What did he say? A yeah, a Falcon's jersey or tickets? Whoa. A Falcon's jersey. His most valuable things, a Falcon's jersey. Bless you, son. All right. <laughs> we, we need to take a collection up right now for this young man. Okay, and what did you say? It was an emblem for my Oh, it was, a, it was a what? It was like an emblem from my grandpa. Yeah, an emblem from your, gra- from your grandpa who had passed. So it always works this way. The ladies always have better items than the guys. The guys are always like, oh, I got some steak in the freezer. You know, ladies are like, I have dried roses, you know, from my mother or something like that. And so, but if you exchange those things, Falcon's jersey for the emblem from grandpa, who loses? Both lose. Because the emblem from grandpa, it's my grandpa, the Falcon's jersey, I'm gonna stop. And, and <laughs> when you exchange goods and certain You go buy a car and you pull away. We got, got a friend here. It's a car dealer. Pull away. You, you want to you make a good deal, but you want to get maximum value for the car. The guy that's, has anybody Lanier, has anybody as they've pulled out said, can I just pay you more for this car? Can I just give I just want to give you more money. I just want to give you more. <laughs> you go to the store, you go to Macy's or something, you go, no, I, I can't take the friends and family discount. I want to pay more for this shirt. No, nobody does that. Because in a contract, you're exchanging goods and services and you're both trying to get your best. Not in a covenant church. In a covenant, this is what happens. The, you, you, you come together and in disagreement, till death us do part. But this is where it's, it's, a, it's a bond in blood. But this is what's different about God's covenant with us in our covenants with each other. In the vassal suzerain, in the king-servant relationship, the servant walks the aisle. And this is what the servant's saying. If I ever break my word, because the king, it's assumed, will never break his word. But sometimes kings do in the world. The servant says, if I ever break my word, let this be to me. Let me be split apart. But in this one, Who walks the aisle, church? God walks the aisle. This is why in a wedding, not just the bride, but the groom should walk the aisle. The groom walks the aisle and he comes and he waits and then the bride comes and that's why in a wedding, you say till death us do part. It's a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not not a treaty. It's not a surrender treaty. The woman isn't surrendering to the man. Totally wrong view of what Scripture says about men and women. No, it's a covenant, and the two become one, and what God puts together, because in a covenant, God's putting it together. Let nobody separate. Look at 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. This is God making this covenant. God making this promise. This moves along in this court case. It it continues in this way. It's about crime and punishment. If you're doubting Abraham, church, young church, if you're doubting, is this about belief or is this about my works? Is this about me measuring up or is it about what Christ has done for me? Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's Deuteronomy 27, 26. You have to do all of them. You can't do some. 11, now it's evident no one's justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by faith. It's not saying you don't do the law. The law is a picture of, for us of how to build a relationship. The law is a picture for us. It shows us what our sin is, but it doesn't make any of us right. Advancement doesn't come by trying harder. It comes by belief because you're not gonna keep the law. Josh, would you come up here? You're the perfect example for this. Josh, Josh, your match and your shirt match. That's great. Where does one get that mask? I'll be sure not to shop there. Okay, so, so Josh, you were in the military, yes, two tours in Iraq, yeah? Um, Do you say Iraq or Iraq? Yeah, Iraq. Okay, all right, I'm, all right. And then, and then um, I'm being corrected. Are you from there? Denise. Denise lived there. You get to, you get to vote, Denise. Iraq. Okay, I can't do that. All right, all right. Okay, I'll just call on you. All right, two tours in. Okay, thank you. All right, and you were a cop for how long? 10 years. So you've been called into the office before in an unwinnable situation. Many times. Okay, all right. So I'm, because that's what this is gonna be. All right, so so this is 10 commandments, good things. If all of us live by those, life would be a lot better. I mean, you'd agree, okay, just, I I know like, there's this controversy about these things. And I'm like, which of those would you like your neighbor not to do? Because um, I'd like my neighbor to not to follow these, it would be better, but I'm gonna, I think these really, um, we can, we're gonna put them on the screen. I think these really start with the most important, no other guys before me. Yes, I think the last one is, is really the least in terms of damage to culture. Um, but I'm gonna start with this one. Josh, have you ever coveted your neighbor's donkey? (laughs) Like you've just been out and you're like, Boy, that's a fine donkey over there. Well, there's a donkey next door here. I've never had a neighbor with a donkey. Well, there's an our neighbor here has a donkey. No, sir. You've never sat in that field and go, I wish I owned that donkey. No, that donkey got loose once and was running around in in the church, so uh, in the field, not not the building. So Yeah, you know. Okay, so Josh, we're gonna let you. We're gonna we're gonna give you credit. We're not gonna run through. Have you ever coveted anybody else's house? You've ever walked into somebody's house and gone? Sure. Okay, you have. Yeah. Okay, so the donkey thing it, it doesn't work. All right. So you failed that when you're a you're a covetous person. <laughs> have you ever lied? I can ask your daddy. Yes, sir. You're a covetous liar. You ever stolen anything, Josh, your whole life? Yes, sir. You're a covetous lying thief. You know, Jesus said that to look on a woman wrongly is the same as adultery. Were you 16 at some point? Josh, you ever murdered anybody? Before you answer that, I'm your pastor, and you can tell me, and I won't turn you in. I can't, but these people—they're going to call somebody today. Yeah. What's the time frame? <laughs> no, never, never. Never murdered, murdered anybody. Okay, well, you got—you're one. Although Jesus said, if you hate them, you've murdered them, because you've told me a few. Yeah, yeah, a couple. No, I'm just joking. All right. <laughs> Honored your father and mother. I remember. I can ask your daddy. Yeah, yeah, most of us have some point. Kept the Sabbath holy, like stayed focused on a day set apart to worship God. Y- you work for me, no? All right, um, nope. no. Take the name of the Lord in vain. You were a cop and a soldier, failed that one. Um, make yourself a carved image. You know, that doesn't just mean a carved image. That means anything, put anything above God, including your gun collection. Yes. yeah. No other gods before me. So if you failed, 20, verse 4. So we've not done too well. No. But here's the good thing. Thank you, Josh. We're still trusting you to disciple our kids, all right? We're really thankful for you, Josh. He's honest now. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The remedy is redemption. There's a remedy. When when you're in a court case, the word you're looking for is the remedy. What is the remedy? What, how are we gonna remedy this wrong? What's gonna bring in a, a balm and make this right? By being a curse for us, it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Again, God's plan all along so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is imputed righteousness. This is how our debts are forgiven. I, I hear government different sides talking about, we're going to forgive this debt or we're going to forgive student loans. or We're going to forgive this. You know, Congress doesn't forgive anything. They authorize it. Okay. You're paying for it or your children or your children's children are paying for it. You can't pay for something you don't have the money to to do. If somebody came and said, hey, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble. I, I, um, I've, I have a million dollar debt. Can you pay for that? If I die, I mean, that's the only way, remotely. I, that insurance, maybe, and everything I have, maybe if I die, maybe through insurances, but no. I can't pay that. I don't have that. I can't pay for something I don't have the ability to pay for. But Jesus pays for it. How? Jesus doesn't pay for your debt with a credit card. He pays for it with his savings account. You'd got this sin. I got this sin, Lord. Jesus like, I can pay for that. I got this sin, Lord. I can pay for that. I would ask you this question. If you can't forgive yourself, what is the sin you've committed that he doesn't have the savings to pay for? What is it? How, how egregious is it that he doesn't have it to pay for it because he is the one who is cursed, the curse of the law becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And then we come to the closing argument. This is the zinger. If you remember watching Perry Mason, man, Perry Mason, you know, the court case is going along, it's going along, it's kind of 50-50. And then Perry Mason got the zinger, doesn't he? At the end. I mean, he he lands the plane, he spikes the football. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, there's that word again, no one annuls or adds to it once it's been ratified. You You don't go to a covenant and change the terms after it's been ratified. The promises were made to Abraham, to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many. It says it's referring to one, and to your offspring. That's the promise, who is Christ. Christ is the one And this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promises void. Abraham doesn't have the law for 430 years. That's the zinger. Abraham can't follow a law he hasn't heard. So how is he declared righteous? It's by belief in who Jesus is and he didn't even know Jesus yet, he had to believe based on who God, what God said. It was, it was before. You can't, you can't change the rules of a covenant midstream. The inheritance, verse 18, comes by the law. It no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So how do you grow? Same way you believed. Christ redeemed us from a curse. So what do you do when you fail? What do you do when... When things don't go the way that you wanted them to go. What what do you do? You believe. I believe this. Look look back at look back at verse at verse two. I'm sorry, look at verse one of Galatians three. Oh foolish Galatians who's bewitched you, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Worship team, you can make your way up. That word publicly portrayed, the, the Greek word, it's, it's grapho, it's graphically. It's I can see this. I can see this. This is, this is huge. It's, it's right in front of me. It, I can see this. It, it's so powerful, I can see this. And here's the interesting thing. When you're dealing with something incredibly heart issue. And this is a heart issue, this issue of belief. It's about, do I put my trust in this? Trust alone. It's even more than a mind issue. Do I put my trust in this? It's, Scripture always talks in those ways about this very sensory experience. That's why the Bible says, Psalm 27, 13, you gotta, I wanna see the goodness of God in the land of the living, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see the Lord is good. it's, it's I'm gonna give you this very sensual, sensory experience that, that you're gonna see. So, so we're gonna see Jesus. And you go, Well, I haven't seen Jesus. Well, let me tell you how you see Jesus. You get you a journal, and you start living out your days. And at the end of your day, you ask this question, Did I see Jesus today? Did I see God at work? And you start writing those things down. And the next thing you know, your journal will be full. When Stephen, remember Stephen? We talked about Stephen in the book of Acts, first real martyr of the church. And and Stephen was there on trial in front of the Pharisees. But the court that Stephen was looking at wasn't that court. See, this is the problem. A lot of us look at the wrong court. It's not this court in front of us. It's not the court of public opinion. It's not the court of how many likes you get in social media. It's not that court. No, Stephen's on trial. They're they're screaming at him. They're stoning him. They've laid all their jackets down at Paul's feet. And this is what it says. It says, and Stephen looks, face aglow, Stephen looks, and he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the throne. What's the, whoa, yeah. What is the normal position? What is the normal position? Look, if the adults won't say amen, we'll just get the kids to go, whoa. So, so what's the normal position in a judgment to be seated? Until the verdict's rendered, and then you stand, don't you? Who's standing when Stephen's ready to die? Jesus, I got goosebumps on that one. Stephen looks and sees Jesus standing at the throne because Jesus says, I got this, I got this. How do you think Stephen saw him? I think because he looked. We don't look, we don't look. We put our heads down and try harder. That's what we do, we're Americans, Americans. We try harder, we work harder, we do it on our own. Stephen looked and saw Jesus standing. I got this, you come in now. You stand when some, when the verdict's rendered, when someone's getting ready to enter in. Jesus is standing, it's what he's doing for you too, church. He's standing, he's taking your sin, he becomes your curse. Anything you've ever done, whatever it is, He's got it. He doesn't even have to ask Congress to authorize it. He doesn't have to pass a bill. I got this. I got this. Son, you got I got this. Son, you got I got that. You got Caleb's sin? Yeah, I got Caleb's sin. You got Betsy's sin? I don't think she's got as much, but 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 I got that too. He's got your sin too, Josh. He's got it. He's got yours too, Daniel. He's got yours too, Peyton. He's got mine. You gotta look. You gotta look. One of my former students is a commander in the Navy. He's a SEAL. He was in command, in a command position at Pearl Harbor, 2018. It was his oldest daughter's birthday. And I love this guy. I've known him since he was like, like 10 years old. And I just, I've watched him grow up and I'm just so proud of him. He just won the the ethics, the, the Stockdale Award, the biggest award the Navy gives for ethics and character. I just love this guy. So he texted me and called me two days before Thanksgiving and we went over and hung out with him on the Friday after Thanksgiving, spent the day with him. And he was telling me this story. He said, in a couple years before, it was his oldest daughter's birthday weekend, and they were gonna sleep in. And at eight o'clock, the alarms start, 8.07, 8.08, the alarms start going off on their phones. And his son comes and knocks on the door and runs in and says, Dad, look, look at this, look at this, look at this. And here's what the alert said. ICBMs from North Korea are headed to the, to the island of Oahu and it gave a time. He knows what the blast radius is. He knows how long it would take to get there. He looked at his wife, Amy, who again, I've known since she was just this big. They went, they said, kids, let's, let's get in the living room. There was no time to go to the base. There was not gonna be anything to do. He knows the blast radius. Had there been enough time, they could have gotten in the car and gone to the other side of the island. Maybe it would have done something, but they're right there at Pearl Harbor. There's nothing to be done. And they went and they gathered around the ottoman and they told each other how much they loved each other. And then he said, kids, in a few minutes, we're gonna be looking at each other and something's gonna happen here. And we're gonna look and the next person we see is Jesus. They had just baptized their older two kids, family of faith, we're gonna see Jesus. And he's running the clock inside his head, he knows how long it's gonna take. He knows from from the flash to the instantaneous, he knows how long it's gonna take. And the clock goes and the clock goes and the clock goes and he's waiting for the second and then the second comes and it doesn't happen and they just keep talking and they just keep telling stories about how much they love each other, about their family, about Jesus, about they're they're singing worship songs together. And the time goes and the time goes and the time goes. And he goes and he checks his phone and the alert's been called off, it was a false alarm. And he came back in and he said to the kids, hey guys, this is a false alarm. We're gonna go, we're going to the water park, our plan originally, we're gonna swim with the dolphins. And the kids are like, ah, we thought we were gonna get to see Jesus. So they went to the water park and they played here's what's really interesting you can you can look this up there's all kinds of people that have had all kinds of ptsd since that experience not this family you know why they got the lesser concert they got the lesser the, to live is christ to die is gain To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. We close our eyes here. We see him there. You move this place of love, that circle of love, to that one. That fast. That's his love. And it isn't because of anything we've done. It's belief. Church, I heard this years ago. I've argued with it in my soul, I believe it. Every sin we ever do is an issue of belief. Every doubt we ever have, but also every sin we ever do is an issue of belief that I don't believe he can carry it, so I sin. I don't believe he'll provide for me, so I sin. I don't believe he'll satisfy my emotional needs, so I sin. It all comes down to sin. That's the gospel. Do you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to do something this morning together as a church family. I'm going to pray a prayer that some people call the sinner's prayer, but I don't call it the sinner's prayer. I call it the prayer that Jesus has so that we accept what he's done on the cross for us. It's Jesus' prayer. And if you've never prayed this before, this is all I'm gonna ask you to do at the end. I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand after we pray it. But I'm gonna ask the church, if you're a believer, to pray this with each other because it's always been about being a church, about being a family of people. And maybe you've believed before, but you've not been living in that belief. Well, today's the day to believe in that belief. Today's his day to start living in that belief, to step back deeper into that. And I'm just gonna say this for me. I just want you to know this. This sermon is not to you, it's for me. Because there's days I act like I don't believe. There's moments I act out of fear or out of lust or out of anger or hatred. It always is about belief. Do I believe I have a God who will provide for my needs? Would you pray this with me out loud? Dear Jesus, today in this place, March 7th, Anita's birthday, I trust you. I believe in you that you took the curse on yourself, because cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And I believe, and I believe that that is counted as righteousness. I belong to you. I may fall, but I will get back up because you are worth seeing in Jesus name. Don't anybody open your eyes, but if you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you lift your hand? If you prayed that prayer for the first time, anybody else? You can put your hands down. Church, the Bible says that you celebrate these things. And Here's the good news. It's not too late to believe. It is never too late to believe. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we rejoice with you and would love to walk with you in this new journey. You can reach out to randy at gfc.tv. Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.